Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Taming the Tongue. All right, so during the Lord's ministry, most of you know this, his greatest enemies were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the legalists of the day. These are the guys, right, who put their man-made rules on the same level of authority as God's word, whether it's the tradition of the elders or the oral law that supposedly was handed down orally from Moses all the way to them. Um, they put their man-made rules on the same level as the scriptures. When Jesus came on the scene, and when Jesus ignored their man-made rules, they got really upset at the Lord. And they dogged his steps from Galilee all the way down to um, uh, Judea in order to try to discredit Jesus' ministry. And so they followed him all around. They're always making accusations, always insulting, always questioning him. For the Pharisees, godliness was all about outward conformity to a very long list of man-made rules. That was their idea of what it meant to be righteous, which sadly, they imposed on other people. Now, I'll give you a lot of examples. I'm just gonna give you one example of a rule on their very long man-made legal list, and it had to do with the ritual of hand-washing. Now, hopefully, we all wash our hands right, to help prevent the spread of germs. But you need to know that for the Pharisees, hand washing had nothing to do with hygiene. They observed this whole elaborate hand washing ritual, not for hygienic reasons, but for religious reasons. And so first they pointed their fingers up and somebody poured water over their fingers and their hands and their wrists. And once it all dripped off, then they pointed their fingers down and somebody poured water again over their hands and it all dripped off. And then they would make a fist with this hand and they would rub this hand very vigorously. And then they would make a fist with this hand and they would rub this hand very vigorously, kind of like what we've been doing the last three months uh, with COVID. But again, had nothing to do with hygienic reasons, had everything to do with a religious ritual. Concerning this ritual, uh, this ritual, some rabbis said, and I quote, he sins as much who eats with unwashed hands as he that lies with a harlot. So they really thought, that your sin, if you didn't wash your hands before you ate, that that sin was as big as sexual immorality. And the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, strongly disagreed with these guys, strongly disagreed with their um, insistence of following all of these man-made rules. And so for Jesus, godliness was all about what was on the inside. For Jesus, godliness was about you know, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The Lord knew that true godliness had to do with the condition of our hearts. And if the heart is right, if the inside is right, then the outside, hey, eventually, it's gonna take care of itself. But if our heart is not right, if the inside is not right, then our outward behavior is gonna be offensive to God no matter how much we try to dress it up with religiosity. And so concerning all this, Jesus said this in Matthew 15. He said, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Here it is. 
but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And when he said that, his disciples came to him privately and they said, Lord, the Pharisees are mad at you. They're really upset. They're really offended. They don't like what you just said right there. Now, let me ask you this. You can answer out loud through your mask, okay? Um, Do you think Jesus really cared about what the Pharisees thought about him? No, they didn't care at all. But, but, but Jesus didn't care at all, but he did care that his disciples weren't duped by man-made religion. And so he went on to explain his words with these words in Matthew 15. Check it out. We'll put it up on the screen. He said, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. He says in the next verse, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, again, he's not talking about washing your hands before you eat for hygienic reasons. He's talking about a religious ritual, a man-made rule. But to eat, with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus would say, guys, it's not about outward conformity to a legal list of man-made rules. It's not about how many times you pour water over your hands. It's about the condition of your heart. And, and Jesus kept emphasizing this. In fact, he said in Luke 6:45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of um, his evil treasure produces evil. And listen to this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so in our passage today, we're gonna see that James is gonna talk a lot. This is the most comprehensive passage in the entire Bible on the tongue that we're gonna study today. And so we're gonna see today that James is gonna talk a lot about what comes out of the mouth. He's gonna talk a lot about what we say with our tongue. Before we expound the text, before I explain the text, you gotta understand this principle. According to Jesus, the condition of our what? Our heart will determine the words we speak and whether they help or hurt build up or tear down, develop or destroy. Jesus would say if you got a mouth problem where you're using words to hurt people, tear people down, destroy people, if you got a mouth problem, no, actually you have a heart problem. And so James, you gotta understand that, you gotta understand what we're, what we're doing here in chapter three in light of what Jesus taught in the Gospels. And so what we're gonna find out is that James began his talk on taming the tongue by addressing first the people who use their tongue more than most, (laughs) and that's teachers. So right now, whether you're in the room or watching um, online, if you're looking at James 3.1, could you say amen? amen? Okay, so here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so as James wrote this letter to the greater Christian community, what you need to know in the first century is that 
local churches were popping up all over the Roman Empire, and this created a huge need for these strong, spirit-filled leaders to oversee all of these local churches that were popping up, but apparently there was a problem. Apparently, some were stepping up to lead, and some were stepping up to teach who had no business doing so. Now, I don't know what the issue was. The scripture is silent. We can only guess. Maybe they weren't called. Maybe they weren't consecrated. Maybe they weren't competent. Or maybe they lacked character. But they're still trying to lead a church. They're still trying to teach the Bible. By the way, this is another sermon, but I I just gave you, for those of you who uh, would like to go into ministry, four prerequisites for ministry. And so make sure that God is calling you, that you're not calling yourself. If you call yourself into ministry, you will be chewed up and spit out. Make sure that you're consecrated. That means make sure that there's a group of elders who recognize the gifts and calling of God on your life and they lay hands on you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and they send you out biblically. Make sure you're competent, that you've given your life to the serious study of the word of God and make sure you have character because if your private life does not match your public life, then you have no business leading the church of God. And so I don't know what the issue was here, but James says, my brothers, not many of you should become teachers. So when a pastor stands before a congregation, ladies and gentlemen, he represents the Lord. And when he teaches, he influences what people um, believe about life and eternity. He influences decisions that people make about life and eternity. That's heavy. And so I wanna ask you guys a favor. Would you please pray for me? Please pray for me. Since I use my tongue so much, I have more opportunities to say the wrong thing than most people do. Okay, and so pray that I rightly handle the word of truth for your spiritual growth, but also for me, because I'm gonna have to one day stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what I teach. But it's not just pastors who need to be concerned about what they say. All Christians should watch their mouths because all Christians represent the Lord. And you say, well, that's heavy. I'm only human. (laughs) Well, that's why James said what he said in verse two. Check it out. For we all stumble, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, everybody say perfect, able also to bridle his whole body. And so when James referred to being perfect, he wasn't speaking about sinless perfection. We know that because he just said, we all stumble in many ways. So the word perfect in the Greek, will define it for you, it means to be brought to its end. It means finished, it means full grown, it means adult, of full age, it means mature. BLB, if you're new to Calvary, is Blue Letter Bible. It's a great online tool for your personal Bible study, blueletterbible.com or org, I forgot. But, but, But look at this, it's not sinless perfection, it's talking about spiritual maturity. It's the same Greek word that he used in chapter one, two through four. When he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, For you know that um, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be 
perfect, spiritually mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so you need to know this little letter here, uh, that James wrote it to the broader Christian community and it, one of the emphasis is, is, is um, being spiritually mature. And so in chapter one, the, the spiritually mature person is steadfast in trials. That means that when difficulty comes, they don't quit. When difficulty comes, right, they don't quit God or put God on the back burner or the church on the back burner or the Bible on the back burner or prayer on the back burner. No. When difficulty comes, they're steadfast. Why? Because they have maturity about them. In chapter two, a spiritually mature person has faith that works. We just studied this, I think, last week, right? And so if you're spiritually mature and you have authentic faith, what happens is that that authentic faith is producing works in greater measure. And now in chapter three, if you're spiritually mature, then you're able to tame your tongue. And so yeah, we're only human, but that should never be an excuse. Because ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit. Is he active in your life? Right? Is he working in your life? Are you allowing him to change your heart so that your language is changed? And so, man, let's not use I'm only human as an excuse because we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead right here in our hearts. Now as James uh, dives into this topic of taming the tongue, he's gonna use a lot of illustrations. I was blown away this week as I was studying. In just verses one through 12, he's gonna talk about a horse's bit, a ship's rudder, a forest fire, animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, a spring, a fig tree, a grapevine, and a salt pond. All in just 12 verses. James loved sharing illustrations, just like his big brother Jesus. Jesus in his teaching ministry was always uh, sharing illustrations. You know, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. A man went out to sow his seed and some of it fell on good soil, or learned this lesson from the fig tree. And so Jesus loved using illustrations, and apparently his little half-brother James loved using illustrations as well. And so we're gonna jump now into the first illustration. Look at verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so the first two illustrations James uses is a horse's bit and a ship's rudder. Now, look at, how, look at how small, we'll go back to the horse, look at how small that, sh that horse's bit is. I looked it up, a horse's bit only weighs a pound and a half to two pounds, depending on the size of the horse. And yet, with a little two-pound bit, you can turn a 1,200-pound animal. Pull the reins to the left, the massive beast goes left. <laughs> Pull the reins to the right, the horse goes to the right. It's the same with the ship rudder. Okay, so look at the next picture. Look how, look how small that rudder is. 
compared to the size of that ship. And yet, with such a small device, a person, the pilot, can turn that huge, big boat. And so the pilot turns the rudder to port, right? He turns the rudder to port. That swings the stern the opposite way, and the whole big ship turns to port. He turns the rudder to starboard. It causes the stern to go the opposite direction. The whole now ship is going starboard. And so now, consider the human tongue. The tongue, compared to the rest of the body, is small. Follow what James is saying here. That just like a tiny bit can turn a big horse, and just like a tiny rudder can turn a big ship, so a tiny tongue can turn, ladies and gentlemen, the entire direction of our lives. And because we're always using it, speaking into other people's life, lives, it can turn the direction of other people's lives. Moms and dads, what you say to your kids greatly affects the direction that they take in life. And so what we say at various points in our lives has a great influence on us and others. And so this little thing here, has got to be under control, why? So that we are under control, so that we go in the right direction, just like a horse, just like a ship. Now, I want you to consider the ramifications for good or evil. We'll start with a horse. If a horse is out of control, right? Think of the damage this 1,200 pound horse can do. He can buck a, a, a cowboy or whoever off his back, he can trample that person to death and run off in a, crazy direction. But if that horse is under control, think about the good that horse can do. He can pull a wagon, plow a field, he can take you on a scenic horseback ride in the Smoky Mountains or whatever, good or evil. Think about the ship, right? If a ship is out of control, what happens? Next thing you know, it's running into the rocks, it runs aground, it sinks, people die, people are hurt. But a ship is under control, think about all the good, right? A ship can move cargo, a ship can take our, our soldiers to places around the world to defend our freedom, a ship can take you on vacation on that cruise, maybe next year, not this year, right? And so, what about the tongue? If our tongue is out of control, it speaks lies, it shares gossip, it insults and slanders people, but if it's under control, it speaks the truth in love, it gives wise counsel, right? It builds people up, it encourages people. No wonder the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This little thing right here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so here's the question I want you to answer in your heart, all of you who are watching right now. Answer this in your heart. Are you in the construction business or the demolition business? Are you building people up or are you tearing them down? Are you hurting people or are you helping people? Think about that as we move on to verse five. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small 
fires. I was thinking about this this past week. I thought about Adolf Hitler, right? Such a, a little tongue, and yet it spewed so much anti-Semitism and so much hatred. Next thing you know, all Europe is on fire, and then the whole world's on fire. Verse six, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by what? By hell. A metaphor there for the devil and demons. Hell's a real place. It's no metaphor, but here it's talking about that if, we, if you and I focus on the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're influenced by the world, the flesh, and the devil, he would love to use our little tongue to hurt people. And so James now likens the tongue to a fire, a fire. Isn't it astonishing that such a little flame has the potential to burn down an entire forest? What do we see so often in the news? Somebody goes camping, they go hiking, right, but they're careless with matches, and the next thing you know, we're reading about an entire forest burning down. Okay, so just like a single flame can cause a whole forest to burn, so a single sentence of malicious words can cause a world of hurt in people's lives. So what should we do? We, we need to live by this old saying right here. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. How many of you guys had mamas who told you that when you were growing up, right? So some of you need to put those two post-it notes on your computer before you go on social media. Or you need to put it on your iPad or your laptop or maybe stick it on the back of your phone before you use your thumbs to type things you shouldn't be typing. Someone says, oh no, he's talking about me. Listen, um, if you knew my schedule and how busy I am, you know that I rarely scroll through Facebook. But I do have time to ask you this question, and I want you to answer this between you and the Holy Spirit. Do your social media posts reflect godly character that builds people up, or do your social media posts reflect ungodly character that tears people down? And somebody says, well, you don't understand. They're posting all this garbage that stinks to high heaven, and I've gotta, I gotta correct them. Really? You gotta correct them? My question is, is all the back and forth, back and forth Facebook fights, is it all worth it? If, if they're posting things that stink, don't you think that if you keep going back and forth that eventually you're gonna stink as well? You see, when it comes to social media, we gotta take the advice of the old-time preacher, Vance Havner. Vance Havner said, a bulldog can whip a skunk any day, but it just ain't worth it. So if you wanna be a bulldog on social media, just be prepared to get stink all over you. The question is, is it worth it? Ladies and gentlemen, we're Christians. We gotta learn to speak the truth in love. And if we can't say it in love, then we really need to not say anything at all. And so if you have a problem with being Christ-like on social media, here's my challenge to you today. My challenge is fast from Facebook for a month. Fast from social media, all forms of social media, if you got a problem with this, an issue with this, fast from it for a month. And then spend the time that you would have spent on social media 
studying the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached. You remember Jesus? You remember what he said in Matthew five through seven? All of Matthew five, all of Matthew six, all of Matthew seven, those of you guys who have red letter Bibles, it's all red words. It's the greatest message ever taught. And in that message, he tells Christians how to be real Christians, how to be true disciples. Not just you know, saying a little prayer and then blasting people on social media for the rest of your life, but sincerely accepting Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life and then growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and actually reading and learning those red letters and living out those letters in the power of the Holy Spirit. Honoring God with our lips and our lives. Making sure that we're committed to helping people instead of hurting people. He says now in verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so James here points out the fact that, man, we can tame wild beasts, we can tame birds, we can tame reptiles, and we can tame sea creatures, but man just can't seem to tame his tongue. And so if a man can make a ferocious tiger, right, jump through fiery rings, if he can train a parrot to talk, if he can charm a cobra, right, with a wind instrument or whatever that guy's blowing right there, if he can fly through the air, right, with Shamu, if he can tame all of those wild creatures, why can't he tame that little group of eight muscles behind his teeth? Why? Well, here's why. Because we're fallen human beings. The truth of the matter is this. We can't tame our tongues, but God can. I'll ask you again. When Jesus went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit. And so as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, and as he's changing our hearts, our tongue is tamed by him. Look at verse nine. He says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All these illustrations, right? And so James is now closing this section on, on the tongue with all these illustrations from nature. I want you to look again at verse 11. Let's take them one by one. Okay, so verse 11, he says, does a spring, a freshwater spring, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Right? So can you imagine on a hot summer day, let's say 95 degrees, 100% humidity, Man, you, you need to get cooled off, so you go to what you think is a cold, fresh spring, and you stand at the top of the cliff, 
and you backflip into the water, splash, right? And you're hoping it's so cold and so fresh, but instead of that, you find out that it's lukewarm and it's salty? How disappointing would that be? But James' point here is that that's impossible because a fresh water spring cannot produce salt water. He, does, he then says in verse 12, can a fig tree bear olives? I mean, can you imagine going to a fig tree, you're ready for a fig, and there's olives on it? I don't know about you, I hate olives. They are like way down there with eggplant. They're just nasty. And so if I go to a fig tree, man, I want a fig Newton. I love fig Newtons, right? And so how disappointing would it be to go to a fig tree and there's olives there? But, but James's point is that's impossible because a fig tree only produces figs. He then says in verse 12, can a grapevine produce figs? He's like really driving this point home, right, with all these illustrations to make sure that we get it. So imagine going to a grapevine and you're all ready for a plump, juicy grape, but there's figs there. I wouldn't be too bothered by that, but the point is, it's impossible because a grapevine only produces, shout it out, grapes. grapes. And then finally, at the end of verse 12, he says, neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. Does anybody want to swim in that in the middle of of summer, right? And so, so what's his point? His point is this. If it is impossible for a fresh spring to produce salt water, if it's impossible for a fig tree to produce grapes, if it's impossible for a grapevine to produce figs, if it's impossible for a salt pond to produce fresh water, if all of that is impossible, then why is it possible that we bless God and with the same mouth we curse people? James would say that's unnatural. You don't even see that in that kind of stuff in, in nature. And yet it happens with Christians all the time. On Sunday, we bless and praise the Lord, but on uh, of Monday through Saturday, right, we hurt our children with our words, moms and dads. What are we doing? You're shaping your kids' lives by what you say to them. Mon on Sunday, you praise the Lord, right? But, but Monday through Saturday, you injure your spouse with your words? Well, she makes me mad. Hey, listen to what Peter said. Live with your wife in an understanding way. She's your heir together with a gracious gift of life. And you need to honor her by what you say or your prayers, guys, are gonna be hindered. On Sunday, you praise the Lord, right? But, but Monday through Saturday, you wound a friend. You rip apart somebody because they have a different political viewpoint than you do. What are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We're allowing the culture to dictate to us what our kingdom is gonna be instead of letting the Bible tell us what our kingdom is gonna be. And our kingdom needs to be the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allow the Spirit to change our hearts so that we're living out the Sermon on the Mount. My brothers, he says in verse 10, these things ought not to be so. And so I'm gonna quickly close with three points of application. How do we tame our tongue? And number one, 
you gotta turn to Christ in repentance and faith. That's where it all starts, right there. Don't just be religious, don't just go to church, just don't think you're a good person because you're going to heaven, you're not good, and you're not gonna go to heaven because you think you're good. You gotta turn to Christ in repentance and faith. As I said in my introduction, if you got a problem with what comes out of your mouth, then you got a problem with your heart. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll change your heart. This is the promise of the new covenant, which God proclaimed through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Listen to the word of God. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so what happens is when we receive a new heart, instead of spewing poison, now all of a sudden we're speaking wholesome words that encourage others and, we, and, and builds them up because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I gotta ask this question. Have you received a new heart? For those of you who are watching right now in your living room, have you received a new heart? Here's the bad news. The bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is there is none righteous, no, not one. The bad news is that the wages or penalty of sin is, help me out, death. What's death? It's separation. When your body dies, your soul separates from your body. But when your soul dies, it doesn't cease to exist. Your soul is separated from God forever in a place called hell. If you die in your sins, you go to hell. Why are we trying to change the Bible to be more relevant to a culture? No, we gotta share the bad news. And when you share the bad news, all of a sudden the good news, pardon the bad English, looks a whole lot gooder. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Better. What's the good news? God so loved the world. Amen. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You try to take hell out of the Bible, you need to change John 3, 16, because he said the word perish. And so what, 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 what needs to happen? What needs to happen is you got, you're going this way, you gotta stop, you gotta turn around, you gotta turn from your sin. Now I'm not saying turn over a new leaf, I'm not saying try harder, I'm saying just turn from your sin, and turn to Christ who has power to change your life. And you believe that he died for you, you believe that he rose again, you receive him as your savior, the Lord of your life, and all, all of a sudden the spirit comes in and changes your heart. And now you're talking differently. How do we tame our tongue? Number two, we gotta keep growing and be filled with the spirit. Okay, and so don't just pray and receive Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life and say, that's it. <laughs> no, that's just the beginning. Now it's time 
uh, to live for him. Now it's time to be a lifelong follower of Christ. This is why we're building this school across the street. This is why we're pouring our blood, sweat, and tears into this local church. It's because we're called by God to help you, people of all ages, become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And so we gotta continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we gotta continue not to be drunk with wine, but be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He gives us that dunamis power to live out the Sermon on the Mount, for example. And then number three, how do we tame our tongues? When someone makes you angry, you gotta calm down and think before you speak or type. You say, that's so basic, Pastor. Well, if it's so basic, why aren't you doing it? So how many of you guys, someone has made you angry in the last two months? Just be honest, raise your hand. Okay, so we all, how practical is this? Yeah, some of you are like, I never get angry. <laughs> right. Okay, so if someone you read on Facebook says something that makes you mad, or they say something to your face that makes you mad, or to your spouse, that'll really make you mad, right? You feel that anger rising, what do you do? Okay, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. So don't say a word in that moment. Don't type a word, it's gonna be foolish. I say that on the authority of the Bible. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? They offended me. The next chapter, Proverbs 15, 28, says the heart of the righteous studies how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So when you speak in anger, you're pouring forth evil. He says don't do that. He says study how to answer. And so they make you mad, right? And, and, and by the way, they don't make you mad. Why are you, why are you letting anyone have power over you? Amen. They said something and you are getting mad. The anger is rising in you, so what do you do? You calm down, go for a prayer walk, ask the Lord to help you study how to answer them, and then you go back and you speak the truth in love. And then you can let the chips fall. Make sure you're always forgiving people from your heart because listen, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your father will not forgive you your trespasses. And guess where I got that? The Sermon on the Mount. And so keep short account with God, keep short account with people. What do we do? We turn to Christ in repentance and faith. We continue to grow and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we calm down and we think before we speak and before we type. If we do that, then we'll allow the Spirit of God inside of us to control this little group of eight muscles behind our teeth. Pretty practical message. I hope we all are doers of the word and not hearers only. Mm -hmm.